electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast, sports on strike. The NBA cancels playoff games as players protest the shooting of Jacob Blake in Wisconsin. Washington University's Patrick Risch. We're not only talking, Andrew, about billions of dollars lost for this season. What are the potential impacts for the 2021 season? That's on the table as well. And CNBC's sports business reporter Jabari Young. It's one thing to say how much money is going to be lost, but Human lives are being lost. Black lives are being lost. We will make America great again. Again. Vice President Mike Pence takes the stage at the 2020 Republican National Convention. Advisor to the President Jared Kushner joins us on the case for re-election. Coming out of this, if, uh, if we make the right moves, uh, America's relative strength in the world can actually be substantially increased. Those stories and more, there's always more. It's a journey. Yeah. 2020 has is, is been a journey. It's Thursday, August 27th, 2020. Squawk Pod begins right now. Good morning and welcome to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. I'm Andrew Ross Sorkin along with Joe Kernan. Melissa Lee is with us again. Becky's off today. So much has happened uh, overnight. Let's get now to the moment that shocked the sports world yesterday afternoon. The NBA's Milwaukee Bucks, the team with the best record in the league, decided not to take the floor for Game 5 of their playoff series against Orlando. The players made the decision to call for change following the police shooting of Jacob Blake in Kenosha, Wisconsin. The league later postponed that game, as well as two others that were set to take place. The cause was later taken up by the WNBA, several baseball teams, several major league soccer teams, and tennis player Naomi Osaka. Former NBA player Chris Webber gave an emotional analysis of the Milwaukee's players' decision last night, delivering a powerful message on what would have been the live telecast of the game. We understand it's not going to end. But that does not mean, young men, that you don't do anything. Don't listen to these people telling you don't do anything because it's not going to end right away. You are starting something for the next generation and the next generation to take over. Do you have to be smart? Yes. Do you have to make sure that you have a plan? Yes. Do you have to be articulate about that plan? Yes. All of those things. But that's what you're going to do. They're professionals. They know how to be the best of themselves. And so I applaud it. I applaud it because it is the young people it is the young people leading the way, and I applaud them. The NBA's Players Association held a meeting last night about whether to continue to play this season. Multiple reports say the L.A. Lakers and L.A. Clippers voted against finishing the postseason, while a majority of teams voted to continue. The NBA's Board of Governors will meet today to determine the next steps. Milwaukee Bucks owner Mark Lazary, Wes Edens, and Jamie Dynan said they didn't know about the boycott beforehand, but they wholeheartedly agree with the players. Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban gave Squawk Box this statement. I fully support our players. Change is never easy. I am proud of our guys for taking the lead and using their platform to try and affect change. I am with them every step of the way. And it is amazing to think that the Bucks' decision to protest the game happened exactly four years to the day after Colin Kaepernick first took a, a knee to protest the playing of the national anthem. Joe. Mm-hmm. And... Um Moved, uh, moved on to baseball uh, as well uh, last yep. night, Major League Baseball. 
Um, unlikely that there's anything near term. I'm, I'm not convinced that the season's over. Uh, that 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 was, you know, the Lakers and the Clippers. Uh, that was the the you know, the first reaction last night, whether it's, uh, you know, through the weekend, a week, whatever it is, I'm hopeful anyway that, that, that the season eventually gets played, finished. To, to me, Joe, the thing that's so interesting is, is there's, there's obviously a, a large moral protest, if you will, taking place in this country, but there's also a test of leadership that's going to happen here, not just among uh, folks like Adam Silver and owners of, of the league, but I think that other CEOs throughout the country are watching this and thinking to themselves, outside, far outside of sports, what would happen if our employees decided to protest in this way? Um, you know, from a business perspective, uniquely, this is effectively um, a work stoppage. Typically, work stoppages uh, and strikes are done to protest their, employer, their employers, right? They feel that the employers aren't doing something right, right. for them. In this case, actually, the NBA I think has worked hand in hand, in hand with the players. Um, who pays for these things? How do you support? How do you support these protests and movements? Um, you know, sports is a form of entertainment. Um, in other in other areas, um, there are operations which are harder. You know, if 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 every uh, UPS driver decided one day that they were going to uh, decide to, to make a statement on a big moral issue like this. What do you do? And also, lots of CEOs have now come out uh, in favor of certain uh, um, what might be described as social movements and the like, um, yeah. and, and stake their company and their company's reputation on these things. Mm -hmm. um, and so, how do how do you handle these things when when effectively the employees this becomes this is now about stakeholder capitalism in a weird way, right? Because all of a sudden the employer the employees in the in the in the form of the NBA have a lot of power, and that's what you're seeing in all of this. Uh, and they're saying something, I think they're saying something that's very important to the country and to the dialogue, but I think there's a even, I don't want to say a bigger conversation, but a unique conversation, especially for our audience, about what this means in the context right. of business. Well, we, we know what, what happens to, you know, how many people are affected by a sports shutdown because we saw it during COVID. And it's not just the players. And, mm -hmm. and I'm actually glad that there aren't concession workers and, and everybody else being affected because there aren't any fans. But But there are other people that, you know, that are dependent for whatever reason on, on the games. You know, like I said, it's not the concession. There's not, I don't know who you're talking about, people yep. behind the scene. It's not nearly well, the number it would be if, if it was normal. But there are ramifications. And I don't want to get into the money about it for, for networks or for sports. or I don't know. I'd like to see the players compete. <laughs> no, so for, for everyone, um, right. I, I hope it comes to a, 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 an inning where everybody's satisfied with, with what they accomplished right. and, and with the statement that's been made and then get back to doing what, what I love to, to, see, uh, to see them do. So I don't and know. In terms, of, in, in terms of direct impact, I mean, Joe, you're right. It's like this is not a money issue. Obviously, we extrapolate to that issue here on this network. You go to the media networks like a Disney, which, which owns ESPN, of course, which would be impacted. DraftKings took a leg lower yesterday immediately upon the news and seeing how it's rippled across other sports leagues and it affected their playing schedule, it could certainly affect a name like DraftKings. But, but think of what Andrew said in terms of where we were as a country, as you know, corporate America was 
four years ago when Colin Kaepernick first took a knee. Um, corporate right. America was divided on whether or not to back this sort of standing. Remember, Nike was sort of uh, criticized for, for taking a stand and backing that movement, saying that there could be fallout. Whereas, you know, fast forward four years later, and we've got massive companies boycotting Facebook, you know, for the month of July. There's almost an expectation of social activism at the corporate America level. And so if employees chose to walk out, there would also probably be that expectation that the companies should back them. And that uh, is a tricky right. situation. We're going to be talking about this for years to come, I would say. Hopefully progress is quicker, but it's unfortunate. It's, it's a, you know, when COVID, it, we, we remember how all this felt when there were no sports during COVID. And here, you know, now we're no sports for another reason, which... Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's a journey. It's a journey. Yeah, it 20, is. 2020 is, has been a journey and, uh, and, and maybe an inflection point uh, in, lots of, in lots of our lives uh, over lots of things in this country. For more on what's next, we're joined now by Patrick Rishi. He's the director of sports, program, uh, sports business program at Washington University in St. Louis. Uh, with us as well is our own Jabari Young, sports business reporter at CNBC.com. Uh, Patrick, I, I do want to start with you in, in trying to understand what you think the implications are, uh, not just the moral implications for sports, but the business implications of where we are in this particularly unique moment. Well, it's a very unique situation and obviously a historic one. And certainly I do not blame the players at all for taking the stance that they did. But the financial repercussions, if they boycott the remainder of the season, Andrew, are substantial. We're talking in the billions of dollars. The league could potentially enact a force majeure clause where they would essentially uh, disavow the collective bargaining agreement, which could lead to a lockout for the next season. So we're not only talking, Andrew, about billions of dollars lost for this season. What are the potential impacts for the 2021 season? That's on the table as well. Uh, Jabari, help us understand, and I, I know you've been doing a lot of reporting around this issue, how the players have thought about the protests themselves, but to the extent this is a, a business question, and, and there's a big test of leadership coming for, for Adam Silver in all of this, because he has tried to be, I think, as, uh, about as supportive as any commissioner uh, could be over the Black Lives Matter issue, um, how they're thinking about it, and who ultimately, and I hate to talk about money, but we are going to because we're, we're right here on CNBC trying to understand the business implications, who's going to ultimately pay for this? Well, we'll see. You know, and, and it's okay to talk about money, Andrew, but you also got to understand in order for the money to be made, the people have to be satisfied, okay? And right now you have the, the people in the NBA, the players, uh, the, the product uh, is not satisfied. And, and you're talking about a league that, remember, shares revenue and the players are not feeling like their voices are heard enough on, on these particular issues. And I think they want more answers. You know, it's one thing to say how much money is going to be lost, but human lives are being lost. Black lives are being lost. And I think... That's what the issue is with them. I mean, they went, the WNBA has stood on this ground. Meyer Moore stood out an entire year to help a man out of prison that was wrongfully, you know, convicted. Um, you know, that's movement. Um, what the NBA players did last night, that's movement. With the MLB players, how they followed, that's movement. I'm looking at the NFL players because we obviously know the NFL owners have political ties, you know, and talking to people about this. And it's very sensitive because, you know, it's still new, right? The emotions are really still high, but, you know, when you talk about, you know, this type of issue around people around the league. And I remember talking to one person last night. He brought up Michael Rubin, you know, the, the, the co-partner of the Philadelphia 76ers. And he brought up a line from Meek Mill. And he said to me, you know, Jabari, Meek was right. You know, when Meek said, and I'm paraphrasing, that things don't happen until rich white men get involved. Because guess what happened when Meek Mill was going through his criminal justice case? 
Michael Rubin came to his side. Robert Kraft came to his side. Look at the results. Well, the NBA players, maybe they, if they have that message, maybe if you had owners all around the world come to the player's side and, and come to the, the if Black Lives Matter issue, uh, really throw money at it. And the NBA has been phenomenal. They've had their platform. They have Black Lives Matter. They had a $300 million uh, NBA foundation that they started. You know, I was on the phone with Clara Ty, the uh, co-owner of the Brooklyn Nets, and I know she, they're, they're doing another $50 million. So there are money being tossed at the issues. But I think players want more. And, and until they get that more, who cares who pays for it? Who cares what happens? Because guess well, what? But Jabari, 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 I think uh, there are a lot of there are a lot of uh, business and policy leaders who are watching us this morning. I think one of the, the bigger issues here, um, I don't want to say bigger issues, but an issue here that that folks are trying to contend with and think about, A, is not just what's happening in the NBA, but actually whether uh, whether whether this kind of, uh, quote unquote, work stoppage in the form of a protest uh, is going to spill into other industries. Uh, we're seeing it, obviously, in other sports, but into other industries more it broadly. How those, how those businesses are supposed to react. And, and the, the interesting component about this is typically, a, typically when, 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 quote, unquote, employees participate in a work stoppage, it's usually to protest their own employers. And so right. there's an understanding or an acceptance of the economic ramifications of that because somehow the employer is not serving their employees properly. That, that's usually the argument. And so we, we can understand that, that economic understanding, right? It becomes harder when you're protesting a, a larger issue outside of your own employee, em, employer and who is protesting because it effectively means that the NBA, if, if they bear the cost of this and Disney bears the cost of this, um, and everybody else down that line bears the causes that they're that they as corporations are protesting these issues as well. And I'm not saying they shouldn't. I'm just saying I think that there has to be an understanding of what it what it all is. You got to understand where it's coming from, from a human element, though, Andrew. I mean, we talk about business, but again, business can't get done unless human beings are alive to do the business. OK, so, I mean, it, it, we can talk about that all the time. I think that's what you see from the NBA. The NBA are not, they're not employees, they're partners, okay? The, the NBA and the NBA owners, they're partners, okay? So the employee and the employer mix, it doesn't fly in the NBA. It's different. They're CBA, they're tied together. They share revenue. They're partners. It's about a 50-50 split. So they're not employees. This is a, a, a boycott. This is a walkout. This is them telling the owners that who have political ties, we need your help. Okay, you, the same way you can buy a team and, and you can, it can go up in value and you can make a lot of money based off of that team. Are you putting enough money in black communities? Are you helping the areas around that arena that you're developing a real estate and you're de developing billions of dollars? Because money talks. And if you put money behind the issues, I mean, maybe you'll see some results. And I think that's what the players right or wrong. Remember, they're expressing their American right to protest. Right. Go up and say something like, "Hey, I don't like what's but you going on." Just so I understand, you think that they're protesting? The, you think they're protesting the owners? You think you're at? They're, they're asking the owners to spend more money on these issues because that's not. I what think I'm they're asking the owners to pay more attention. I, mean, I think they're asking the owners to use though. their political help. I think they're asking the owners, "Hey, listen, we know that you're helping. We know right. you're tossing money, but we need your influence to help solve right. these matters." And like I said before. The NBA, everybody's not going to agree with the way that they did this, okay? There's a lot of confusion about how they did it, but they did it. And I think that's what the, what, what the moment is, and that's where the, the statement Jabari, was. And Jabari, now we, we're, the hard part is what happens next. Jabari, we very much appreciate the conversation. Patrick, I appreciate the conversation. I'm sorry we couldn't go longer. We will continue oh, this, I promise. We've got some news breaking overnight. TikTok CEO Kevin Mayer has quit the company. This just months after his appointment. In a letter to employees obtained by CNBC, Mayer said... 
In recent weeks, as the political environment has sharply changed, I have done significant reflection on what the corporate structural changes will require and what it means for the global role I signed up for against this backdrop. And as we expect to reach a resolution very soon, it is with a very heavy heart that I wanted to let you all know that I've decided to leave the company. Mayor left Disney to take that job at TikTok on June 1st of this year. TikTok's U.S. general manager, Vanessa Pappas, was going to take over on an interim uh, basis. But uh, this is going to raise lots of questions, uh, folks, about uh, the future of TikTok, the future of this transaction. Obviously, Microsoft in uh, deep negotiations to buy that company. There's a uh, clock against this deal. September 15th, uh, President Trump and the administration said uh, this company is either going to exist in the United States with a U.S. owner or it won't be available. Uh, Oracle also said to be uh, looking at this as well. Unclear exactly what took place. I've done some reporting overnight. Uh, I don't want to get into some of the speculation here, but I think there was a real question as to what the role of Kevin Mayer would have been uh, in a future TikTok, whether he would have been considered a quote unquote key man. Uh, you'd have to imagine if he was considered a key man in the future of this company and would have been paid by a potential buyer, you would have wanted to stick around for that. You might have also wanted to stick around if you thought there was a payday on the other side simply as the result of negotiating the sale. Unclear whether that uh, would have otherwise been in the cards. But lots of questions uh, now uh, about the leadership of the company, of course, what this means for a potential transaction. Um, as he did say in that letter, uh, he is expecting a quote unquote resolution very soon. Uh, whether that resolution uh, leads to uh, one of these types of deals that are on the table or something else, uh, we're going to have to see. Melissa? It almost seems like it would lead to some sort of resolution, which would mean the sale of TikTok. You don't sign on to be the CEO right. of operations and then, you know, the company gets acquired. He was also, by the way, the COO of, of the Chinese parent ByteDance. Um, so that role for him right. goes away. So in terms of what this job was, it's, it's just a shadow of what it could have been uh, if everything remained the right. same when he first signed up. So you got to wonder, too, if, if the valuation of TikTok actually takes a hit. He is often cited as a key talent um, heading up this company. And so with him gone, does that impact what the company is valued at? That's an unknown question. Amazon CEO Jeff Bezos reaching a new milestone yesterday as his net worth soared. You ready for this? Above $202 billion, making him the first person across the $200 billion threshold. That's thanks to gains in Amazon stock. He's now $78 billion richer than Microsoft co-founder Bill Gates, who stands at number two. And a jump in Tesla shares has pushed Elon Musk's net worth to more than $100 billion. And to make it even crazier, Jeff gave away half, I don't want to say gave away, split his wealth, as you know, uh, when he got divorced with his wife. So you can think about what that number otherwise may have been. Next on Squawk Pod, the GOP makes the case for four more years. White House insider and son-in-law Jared Kushner says in the face of nationwide protests and a global pandemic, President Trump is the right leader for the job. I was a Democrat too, yep. but coming to Washington and now that I'm a Trump Republican, uh, I do feel like the Democrats have run these cities for a long time and you have nothing but failure and broken promises. We'll be right back. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. 
Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Squawk Pod. Night three of the Republican National Convention highlighted two of the people who've stood behind President Trump throughout his first campaign and in the last four years. Vice President Mike Pence hit on Trump's impact on the economy. On November 3rd, you need to ask yourself, who do you trust to rebuild this economy? A career politician who presided over the slowest economic recovery since the Great Depression? Or a proven leader who created the greatest economy in the world? The choice is clear. To bring America all the way back, we need four more years of President Donald Trump in the White House. Finding an end to the coronavirus pandemic. Last week, Joe Biden said that no miracle is coming. Well, what Joe doesn't seem to understand is that America is a nation of miracles. And I'm proud to report that we're on track to have the world's first safe effective coronavirus vaccine by the end of this year. And the vice president weighed in on protests across the nation. So let me be clear, the violence must stop, whether in Minneapolis, Portland, or Kenosha. Too many heroes have died defending our freedom to see Americans strike each other down. We will have law and order on the streets of this country for every American of every race and creed and color. The hard truth is, you won't be safe in Joe Biden's America. And under President Trump, we will always stand with those who stand on the thin blue line and we're not going to defund the police, not now, not ever. Kellyanne Conway, first a campaign manager and then counselor to the president in the White House, defended President Trump's track record with women. This is the man I know and the president we need for four more years. He picks the toughest fights and tackles the most complex problems. He has stood by me and he will stand up for you. Conway recently announced her departure from the White House. This will likely be one of her last public appearances in an administration capacity. This morning on Squawk Box, Joe Kernan, Andrew Ross Sorkin, and Melissa Lee spoke to another administration insider making the case for four more years. Here's Joe kicking off that conversation. Joining us now, Jared Kushner. He's an assistant to the president, and he happens to be, wait a second, his son-in-law? Oh, I guess that's true. He's also advising uh, President Trump's re-election campaign. Jared, thanks for uh, joining us this morning. It's good to see you. Uh, it's great to be with you this morning. Pretty nice backdrop, uh, uh, the, the White House. Uh, so last week was the Dems. This week, it's, it's the GOP. What type of contrast do you see? And I, obviously, you're going to be representing the president in the GOP case, but... What are the, the key differences between what, what we saw both proposed last week and uh, what we're seeing proposed uh, this week? Well, I think last week what you heard was a lot of uh, complaints and a lot of, uh, a lot of rhetoric, a lot of people who were complaining about a lot of things in America without offering a lot of solutions. Uh, tonight what you're going to hear from President Trump is a very hopeful uh, vision for America. He's very proud of this country. He believes that this country has uh, incredible room to grow coming out of this pandemic. He believes he can build it to be stronger than it's ever been before. 
Uh, he's obviously going to explain this is a, a serious election with serious consequences, and he's going to explain what the consequences would be of making a change at this point. But he's going to make a very, very strong case for what having uh, President Trump back for four more years with the Republican House and Republican Senate could bring to this country. We heard a lot about uh, the administration's response to COVID last week, uh, Jared. Do you, uh, how do you characterize the response? A lot of criticism. How would you characterize it? You would defend the response, I assume. Well, what I would say, look, this is a global pandemic. It's an unprecedented challenge. You have a lot of factors you need to take into account. President Trump acted very decisively and very quickly, uh, shut down travel from China, sh shut down travel from Europe. Uh, we had times months ago where we thought the, the financial markets were on the, the brink of, of breaking and you know, people were expecting at this point we'd be at 25 percent unemployment. So, you know, President Trump's had a very steady hand through this. He's uh, made a lot of the right decisions. We've uh, people thought we would uh, have as many as two two plus million deaths at this point. That number has been lower. Uh, obviously, you know, one death is too many, but uh, he's did the right balance of policies to fight through this global pandemic. And yeah. I, I would just say that, you know, people politicizing this uh, has not been productive. You know, when uh, we were in the midst of this and we were providing all the resources to a lot of the Democratic governors that they didn't have, uh, he was getting nothing but praise. People weren't making politics. But now that uh, the pandemic is in a more controlled state, we're seeing hospitalizations over the last month are down by 30 percent. Test positivity right now is almost 5%, uh, down from 10% 30 days ago. Cases are down, and so and the economy is, is opening up, obviously, uh, at the prudent pace. So I think that, you know, if we were still in the crisis phase, hopefully they would have been uh, uh, politicizing it less. And I do think we're making great progress on the vaccine as well. The fastest vaccine ever to a phase three trial was 13 months, uh, thanks to Operation Warp Speed. Uh, we achieved the first... Uh, vaccine for the for the virus uh, in four months, the second in four months in a week. We have six vaccine trials that are being mass produced, and President Trump is actually on pace right now to achieve what was a very, very ambitious goal of having 100 uh, million doses of vaccines by the end of this year. Hey, Jared, I know that, that Andrew and, and Melissa both uh, want to get in. I, I, I want to just ask you a quick question. As a business network, the president had a lot of criticism for Fed Chief Powell, who's going to be speaking today, I, I think, uh, in, uh, in Jackson Hole. Do you think if, if the president were to win re-election, would, would he reappoint uh, Jerome Powell at this point? Is he warm to him? Um, I, I, you can't speak for the president, uh, obviously, but, but in, in your heart of hearts, what do you think would happen? Uh, what I would say is that, look, you really see what people are made of in times of crisis, and I think that Chairman Powell has really stepped up to the plate, uh, and he's done a lot of the right things to make sure that the market was able to uh, to get through the crisis. And so, again, it was a lot of great work by, obviously, the president, the vice president, Secretary Mnuchin, uh, and obviously Chairman Powell. I think they've all worked very well together to, uh, again, get the country through a very, very difficult period. And, you know, now we, we obviously are in a better place than we would have been, but the opportunity to go ahead is, is really going to be tremendous. Yeah. And what we're seeing through COVID is so many uh, trends are being accelerated. So coming out of this, if uh, if we make the right moves, uh, America's relative strength in the world can actually be substantially increased uh, if we if we make the right moves coming and, out of and, this. And Jared, we're, we'll run out of time eventually. I just wanted to ask you about the U, the, the the recent deal in the Mideast and and whether that that could usher in more uh, positive developments over there. In your view, is is it the is it the end, the beginning of the end, end of the beginning? What is it? Well, you have a lot of great deal makers that that uh, that obviously watch your show and. Uh, people always say the hardest deal to do is peace in the Middle East. President Trump, thanks to his leadership, 
uh, achieve the first uh, peace deal in the Middle East in the last 26 years. And uh, he did a lot of unconventional things, but I think that it's emblematic broader of the president's leadership. He doesn't take the Washington way. He's not doing it in a Washington style, but he achieves uh, results that uh, a lot of politicians and career Washington people were not able to achieve. And uh, they don't like him for it, but he's going to keep doing that. He's going to do it in a lot of areas. In the Middle East right now, I'm traveling there next week. I'm actually going to take the first commercial flight ever from Israel to the United Arab Emirates, uh, uh, you know, which is a follow-on to the peace deal. We'll have a delegation that will hopefully you know, bring these countries closer together. They're both security, technology, uh, and economic powerhouses. So bringing them together will hopefully continue the paradigm shift that President Trump yeah. has led to have a more stable uh, and peaceful wow. region. So uh, we hope, we're hopeful we yeah, will Andrew, see more countries following. Great. Uh, Andrew, I know you've got a, a different view of, of the COVID response. You probably want to ask uh, Jared some, some uh, questions. Andrew. You know what, I actually wanted to just ask Jared about a couple of headlines in the news over the past, frankly, 24 hours just to get uh, the administration's sense of things. Uh, one is we saw that Kevin Mayer just stepped down from TikTok overnight. Uh, the president made a comment, as you know, a couple weeks ago, saying that uh, TikTok should ultimately have to, or the Chinese uh, or ByteDance should ultimately have to pay the U.S. government in some form of, uh, some, some form of payment. Uh, a, what do you make of, uh, of Kevin Mayer's uh, decision to resign? And two, uh, what do you think the president really meant by that? How would that work? I think there's a lot of people, including people on the deal team themselves, who still don't understand what that meant. Right. So uh, I've only heard fabulous things about Kevin Mayer. Uh, I don't know the details of his resignation. Uh, but what I do know is that President Trump is the first president. Again, we spoke about the Democrat convention. Uh, one thing they didn't mention uh, was China and all the years uh, of bad policy that allowed China to uh, really take advantage of our country. President Trump took on China, uh, put on a lot of tariffs, uh, was able to get a deal that uh, was starting to rebalance uh, uh, the relationship and also uh, go after a lot of their unfair trade uh, practices. But the TikTok deal is really about uh, protecting the privacy of American citizens and making sure that, uh, that we're looking out for that. And obviously, uh, you know, in the, con in the details of this, there'll be a, a windfall. And I know that that will be something that will be uh, discussed in the context of the deal. Jared, the other thing that happened overnight is that the NBA uh, has now postponed games uh, in large part as a result of a, a protest or, or boycott uh, by the players. Uh, this relates to the sort of larger Black Lives Matter issue. Does the White House support uh, the players and the owners in this case? Look, I think that the NBA players are very fortunate that they have the financial position where they're able to take a night off from work without uh, having to, to have uh, the consequences to themselves financially. So they have that luxury, which is great. Uh, look, I think with the NBA, there's a lot of uh, activism, and I think that uh, they've put a lot of slogans out. But I think that what we need to do is turn that from slogans uh, and, uh, and, and signals to actual action that's going to solve the problem. And if you look at President Trump's record, uh, you know, people are talking about social injustice. He passed historic criminal justice reform. They talked about how there's uh, wealth inequality. He passed opportunity zones to bring more access to capital uh, in the black and minority community. Uh, we, uh, you know, we talk about education. He's fighting for school choice so that uh, people in the inner cities and failing schools can go to better schools. And then he's also uh, granted uh, long-term funding to the historically black colleges and universities. So uh, what I would say is that, look, you know, the, people don't like seeing what's happening in a lot of these cities. Uh, President Trump has been very strong to say we don't want violence in these cities, but uh, we just have to take this uh, conversation from an emotional one to a constructive one and say, what are the policies that we can agree on? We all agree on where we want things to go. President Trump has a policy platform, but, uh, but uh, it would be great if we can all come together on a policy platform that will uh, lead forward and actually start executing. And you'll hear President Trump talk about that tonight and on the campaign, which is that a lot of people uh, 
in Washington have failed these inner cities for a long time. And quite frankly, there's a former Democrat, Andrew, we know each other from right. New York. Uh, I was a Democrat too, yep. but coming to Washington and now that I'm a Trump Republican, uh, I do feel like the Democrats have run these cities for a long time and you have nothing but failure and broken promises. President Trump has a platform that actually will make a difference. And I think that you're not going to get a different result by following the same people who have failed and doing the same policies that haven't worked. It's time for something new. We want to see the country move forward. And President Trump is the leader who's proven that he can get these things done and has a vision to actually bring change. In the past, used the stock market as a report card in the administration. The stock market's close to record highs, but we just got data crossing of jobless claims over a million. So how does the White House then use the stock market card, so to speak, um, during a, an election period in which so many Americans are, are feeling tremendous pain. They're out of work, they're, they're food insecure, et cetera. Yeah, so there is a lot of heartbreak out there in the country. Again, uh, President Trump's been very clear that we can't shut down our country again. Uh, you know, his opponent, uh, Joe Biden, said the other day on television that if the doctor said so, he would shut it down. Uh, what we've done is we've used the tools that we've had. We've used science to figure out how to open our country and keep it open. Americans adapt, Americans adjust. We need to figure out how to adjust and keep things open so that we can have the economy being vibrant. And so, uh, again, we were projecting that we would be at 25% unemployment. Now we're at about 10%. Hopefully we'll be able to continue lower. Uh, we've, we're working with the Democrats on how to get another deal that I think will really get us on a pathway to, to a great recovery. They've been trying to put in a lot of uh, funding to bail out past sins. We want to keep this about COVID and really getting the economy through this period. But I will say as well that a lot of people are benchmarking president's response to other countries. But if you look at the response of the American stock market versus uh, the rest of the, the stock markets around the world, you'll see that people believe that the interventions and the policies that we've put forward are the right policies and they're going to lead our economy back to have a stronger growth coming out of this uh, than people anticipated. So uh, again, I think that we're, we're focused on employment. Uh, President Trump was very proud of the fact that before this global pandemic hit, we had the lowest unemployment that we had in 50 years. There were more uh, jobs open than people looking for jobs. We had wages rising uh, for, for the lowest wage earners at the fastest rates uh, in 20 years. And uh, we believe we can get back there and obviously do an even better job uh, as we get, after we get the vaccine and we you know, get going in next year. We think next year, 2021, under President Trump's leadership, could be the best year we've had in a very, very long time. Jared Kushner, I know you got to run. Uh, thanks for uh, spending some time with us this morning. Hope to see you again. Thanks. Thank you. It's great to be with you. We'll be right back. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production, and they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. That's the podcast for today. On our rundown tomorrow, Billie Jean King, tennis champion with 39 Grand Slam titles. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Forget it. I'm going to say goodbye uh, to Melissa. Thank you. We appreciate you uh, being here today. Andrew Ross Sorkin, every day, right? We come in here and... Uh, every day. How do you know? How do you know what, what it's going to be? Uh, we, we really do need to... You know, to keep an open mind and be ready to talk about anything, I think, which we do. Anyway. That we do. 
To get the best of our TV show right into your ears, subscribe to Squawk Pod on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you listen. Tell friends, share Squawk Pod, and we'll meet you back here tomorrow. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.